This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we discuss the 1987 film Some Kind of Wonderful. In this movie, every character is chasing something that they hope will give them a sense of belonging. The lie they believe is that status is where they have value. But truth and trust go together, leading to the intimacy and belonging we are all searching for. Join us as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name is Paul McDonald and joining me via the Zoom in Hotlanta because we are sweating, sweating today, Ooh. man. Yeah, yeah we Brent are. Mooney. Hey, man. What is up? Yeah, I went for a run the other day and I was like, that might have been a mistake. <laughs> I was drenched. It is impossible to rehydrate after something like that. Bad. <laughs> So we just finished our summer blockbuster series with the big movies. So we, we, we said, let's go back. Let's go back in time. We're going to go time. back to the eighties. No, we're not going to do them back to the future. Not yet. But not yet. We'll, we'll do that one. I had somebody recommend back, back to the future to me, I think today as a sort of an identity and initiation type of movie. Uh, I think it'd be great. Yeah. And I just, there's a great uh, documentary on Netflix. So Netflix has a cool little series called the movies that made us. And they do little documentaries on these really popular movies. I just watched the one on back to the future. So that would be, that would be an interesting one to do. Yeah. And John Mulaney does a, a bit on his stand-up routine. And, and it's an older one about the guys who were pitching. There's like, Hey, the guys are going in to pitch the movie. And they're like, okay, this, this kid in high school, he's, he's best friends with a disgraced nuclear physicist. <laughs> they're like okay go on he's like and they they build a time machine oh does so does this time they go back and and prevent some world catastrophe like jfk he's like oh that would have been a good idea wish we would have thought of that no no, no. he goes back in time to have sex with his mom <laughs> <laughs> make out with his mom yeah and you're just like but it doesn't happen because this guy who's trying to rape her his dad comes and saves the day like, oh, that sounds great. We'll make three of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Those are funny. The the pitch meetings. The pitch, yeah. Yeah, the pitch meetings are funny. It's like, wait, how did how did this actually go down? <laughs> right. So we're talking about uh, some kind of wonderful, right? Uh, which is I always thought was a song, and it is a song, but it is a song. It does not make an appearance in this movie, though. It's one of my criticisms of the movie that <laughs> it should be in the movie. Like, if you're gonna name a movie after a song. Put the song in the movie. At least at the know. end, in, instead of playing Fools Rush In. Right? Yeah. Isn't, wasn't that the song they played? cover. Yeah. I Can't Help Falling in Love oh, With oh, You. Oh, that's right. It was I Can't old, Help. Yeah. Old Elvis scene. <laughs> with a bad cover of it is at that. Because right, I actually like that song. And I actually remember what the name is. So this came out in, in 87. So 87. I have never seen it before. <laughs> because... That was the life I lived. I didn't see a lot of these 80s movies that everybody knows about. So for me, the experience of watching this movie 
is much different as a 46 year old man <laughs> than being a, a, a hormone, uh, hyper hormonal teenager in the midst of all the teenage angst and stress and emotion and all that stuff. So Brit, since this was and 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 I quote your favorite teen movie by John Hughes by John Hughes it is it is my favorite and, and I'll I'll tell you why but, but first a question since it was your first time watching it yeah and it's like my billionth time watching it <laughs> you know I, I, but did you find yourself relating to the dad <laughs> he was yelling at him did you find yourself I like I started to a little bit this time watching it going. I'm scaring myself. I'm relating a little bit too much to the dad who's telling his kid he's a slacker. Um, a little know. bit, but not not as much. Um, okay. I, I probably related more with the redheaded kid. The redheaded <laughs> kid. kid who's kind of a dork. <laughs> you know how much damage we could do? That's nauseating. <laughs> or whatever she said. Yeah. Makes me want to puke or something. Although in, um, in today's culture, and we both, we talked about this before, is the, the movie, and we're going to talk about why we picked it. But first, we have to address the super stalkery feel oh, man. of the beginning of, oh, yes. you know, he's like... Well, it's all throughout, and especially the first half, yeah, it's yeah, all throughout. It's like he's drawing her in the, his notebook, and then he's watching her arrive to school from in the stands, and at least he doesn't go into the locker room. <laughs> right. That we know of. He was probably hiding in the locker room. Well, yeah, but out. the bad guy did. Hardy <laughs> yeah, did. Exactly. Somebody had to. Um... <laughs> So, yes, so there is definitely a stalkery feel to some of the moments of the movie, but a lot of the 80s teen movies sort of did that. But, Britt, why did we pick this movie? So we were talking about, let's, just like we did the summer blockbuster, let's do some back-to-school sort of movies. And I threw some out there. Um, You know, Paul threw out some ones that were all about, like, suicide. And I thought, well, let's... Let's may, let's maybe go a little lighter in no the beginning. Dead Poet Society or School Ties, <laughs> which uh, Dead Poet Society would be a good one to do at some point. Maybe we'll do that one next. But um, but yeah. So I was like, well, yeah, well, maybe we could do. Well, and there's Robin Williams in there. Like that's just that just depresses me just thinking about it. But anyway, so he, uh, so I was like, oh, so I started naming some of these John Hughes like classic movies, and I was like, or some kind of wonderful, which is one of the lesser known of those John Hughes like Sixteen Candles, Breakfast, Breakfast Club. Club. Yeah. Again, movies I did not see. Uh, Pretty in Pink, uh, and there was you know uh, all the uh, Paris Bueller's Day Off. Those are kind yeah. of the big ones. This one was lesser known, um, and and I think for a couple of different reasons. But it's it's it is my favorite of those, mainly because of the kind of funky, quirky characters that end up falling in love. So spoiler alert. At the end of Pretty in Pink, the original end of Pretty in the Pink was that she got the the main character, the redhead girl. She ended up getting together with Ducky. You really should know was, her name. I should know her name. Because she's in um, all of these. She's in all of them. <laughs> uh, and, and so that was the original end of the movie. But when they when they previewed it, when they showed it to an audience, the audience, were well, they wanted her to get back together with the rich dude. That's what they wanted, like this whole fairy tale ending. So, so they they reshot, they rewrote and reshot the end for to what it is today. For sixteen candles, 
No, this that was for Pretty in Pink, that, where they reshot the end. Oh. Um, uh, and what, what's her name? Molly Ringwald. Molly. I was going to say Meg, but it wasn't Meg. It was Molly Ringwald. And um, and Andrew McCarthy was in that one. And uh, John Cryer. It was, I love Pretty in Pink, too. But part of me wanted her to get together with Ducky. Like, they almost, like, you could tell they were writing that as a, as a possibility. So in this movie, he does. He gets together with the best friend. He gets together with the the plucky best friend who who isn't the prettiest, isn't the richest, isn't, you know, but she has the character. You know, it's Mary Stuart Masterson, uh, yeah. who I, I had a crush on back then. I mean, I, <laughs> from this movie on, uh, she does such a great job with this role. And I liked Eric Stoltz, too, you know, from Mask. And he has some other kind of really great movies from those times. Um, and so it was a little quirkier and it wasn't, it wasn't as much a fairy tale as much as it was like a real kind of exploration of being misfits. And as Paul knows, I love the misfit <laughs> themes, um, but like misfits finding being who they are and, and not being afraid to just find that reality and truth and embracing it. Um, because in the eighties, it definitely was a, and it, I think it still is, which is why I think it's relevant the, the theme, but there really was a sort of idea, right? There was the yuppie thing. There was making more money there. You know, a lot of people were getting better jobs, better houses and stuff. So there was a sort of expectation that that was a cool American thing to do. And so I just love that it kind of subverted that, that you didn't have to look like what everybody else wanted it to. Um, so, you know, you know, I, I like it. And so we're going to talk a lot about this idea of status and achieving it and what it takes to get it. And all these different players are all going after something. And I think one of the first lines of the movie is when uh, Keith gets home, you know, you see he's working and, but he gets there and his dad walks in and apparently this is his senior year. And his dad says, Hey Keith, come in here. We got to, you got to figure out a college you want to go to. And again, back in the eighties, I think this was a really big thing of being, and what he said was, I want you to be the first guy in the family who doesn't have to wash his hands after work, which says a lot about both how he saw himself and how he saw mm -hmm. people who didn't have to wash their hands after, after, you know, a day of work, you know, throughout the movie until, you know, the, one of the climactic dialogue pieces will probably play between Keith and his dad. There's this tug of war where his dad says, Oh, I know you you're interested in art and going to art, but you can do art on the side. What about a business school? What about a business program? You'd be, that would help you out a lot. But to say that there's somehow that is achieving. Like I think back to in high school, my brother worked for a construction company. And so now 30 years later, he's much more handy to have around the house than, <laughs> than I am because he's, he knows all these physical skills and then can maintain and, you know, do things that most people would shy at or maybe think twice about. No, he's like, the, the, the pipe is leaking. So I'm going to knock out the drywall, fix the leak and replace the drywall. And he says it like I talk about, well, you just plug in the USB into the USB port. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and so there's that that mindset right off the bat of trying to better yourself, but not necessarily actually bettering yourself from a internal standpoint, but from an external standpoint. Oh, absolutely. And and I don't know when it started, but 
but I, I definitely know that it was around in the eighties and it still continues to this day. Like there's this idea that having some sort of blue collar job, although people don't always say it like this, but there's this idea that having a blue collar job is somehow less. If you have your right? name sewn on your shirt or something right? like that. Right. And, and there were more and more opportunities. So, so with the economic boom that did legitimately happen in the eighties, there were more opportunities to go to college, to make more money, to get better jobs or there, there, I mean, as in the sense of jobs with more money, but see, here's the thing there, we should get out of this mindset that the only way to succeed is to go to college and get a degree and get a, some sort of service job where you're sitting at a desk or have an office. Like there are plenty of people who make tons of money as plumbers, electricians. And in fact, what, what is it uh, in the millionaire next door, you know, brings that out where he, in that book and the guy talks about what eight out of 10 or some, you know, whatever the statistic was of the millionaires in this country are in blue collar work like that, or they, they have skill-based things or in construction. And what happens is they get so good at it yeah. that they have to start hiring other people and training them. And, and so they boom, 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 boom now. And it doesn't happen when they're 25. It happens when they're 50 and now they're millionaires and they're set. They've got a business and they said, and so all that to say is there was that idea of success. And I like the fact that even in the eighties, this movie was kind of bumping back against that a little bit. It was kind of pushing back on these, that idea that, of course, they did it in a real artsy way, like, oh, he likes art, you know, like, right. like they did it in a real, like, <laughs> cool way, or, you know, um, but, but he did, same, he worked at a gas station as well, he so he still station. had to, you know, wash his hands, and to yeah. him, you know, and later in the movie, the, the, uh, Hardy, I was thinking Biff, because we were talking Back <laughs> to the Future, <laughs> That's right. yeah, yeah. you know, he's like talking down to him of, oh, you better talk nice to me, or I'm going to make you check the tires, right, and that arrogance, and that what he's wrestling with and what we'll see through the movie is not necessarily, it is located to status, but status equals belonging. Belonging, and, success. Yes. And value. What is, and that's with everybody in the movie, you were going to see what, what does belonging mean and how can I achieve it? Yeah. See here, here's the lie. And, and I talked about this, especially with Shrek, but I've talked about it with, with other movies that we've done is that the core of every story is conflict and conflict happens when someone is living a lie. They're yeah. living by misunderstanding and they're living by a lie. And there's a lot of people living by the lie in this movie that status is worth sacrificing for because it's the status that has value. Amanda Jones, who is the, the woman that Keith puts on a pedestal, sh she's willing to sacrifice her own character so that she can have, you know, be popular. Um, Keith's little sister, the dad, Keith himself, they're, they're always comparing themselves to others, thinking that, well, I must not be good enough, or they don't think I'm good enough, or, or it's always about what people think and, and, and all that sort of stuff. These sort of, like you're saying, external measures of, of status. And, and a story resolves when people start living according to what's true, yeah. whether that's in themselves, whether that's in others, or whether seeing others is, is true. And so what we're going to see in this movie 
which I think is kind of is beautiful uh, as a part of this movie is that as the movie starts to kind of come to a close with the date and the, and the whole thing is that as things start to happen in the end of the movie, more and more people begin to live according to truth. And there's anger and there's yelling and there's all sorts of uncomfortable things that happen, which is why we watch movies. Like it's not just people sitting around on their couch, you know, like we're not watching that movie. Like we're watching (laughs) people having to deal with what does it mean to live by truth? And, and as we'll get to, I really think that's something that the Christians of today with, it was different in the eighties, but the Christians of today with social media, with uh, that's a different kind of status. People pay to get likes, you know, people pay to get a platform. And as an author, I mean, I'm, I'm in this and, and this is part of what I do for my job. And it's there, there's a different sort of, you know, there's canceling people if they don't like what you say, or I mean, there's all this sort of stuff that's going on in our culture. But the most important thing is to do is to live in truth. And that's sometimes uncomfortable and it's going to look different, but, and that's why I think it's a beautiful theme of this movie. And and we're going to kind of see the details of that in different ways with some of the different characters. Well, and, and I think that that comparison, you know, you, you, you mentioned both social media and these, the, this sort of eighties trope of that was when the, you know, um, keeping up with the Joneses of, well, they have a nice, like I think of the, the national lampoons, Christmas vacation, right? You've got Clark Griswold lives next door to this yuppie couple who has the sweatsuits and this crazy, weird stereo system and this stylish house. It, but you see this constantly where, where it's, it's chasing success. You're just chasing achievement through the external means. And the, again, like you mentioned, I think it's interesting. You mentioned that the eighties economic boom kind of, I think there's a reflection of, because obviously John Hughes lived through the seventies when the economy, mm. not so good. Right. Yeah. And so you're seeing that as people, maybe they still have that economic they haven't experienced that economic boom in their own lives. And so they're feeling less than the people that have, they're feeling, Oh, well, I'm not getting mine. And they're comparing themselves as, as we mentioned and feeling like, Oh, I don't fit in. I don't belong because I'm not a member of the country club or I'm driving a car that's 10 plus years old or, you know, take your pick. I'm wearing old clothes. I'm, and that's, you can say, well, yeah, that was 30, 40 years ago now. And, We've evolved, right? We don't, we don't live off of the likes or off of comparing ourselves and the, but no, we have the social media. We have the, how many, like you mentioned, how many likes do I have? My life doesn't look like them. I didn't, you know, I don't take pictures of my kids on the first day of every school year and, or the last day, or I didn't, I don't do these things that other parents do. So I must not be good enough. Yeah. We, we put our best life on social media, right? I mean, and we've talked about this before, like we, you know, we, we put our best life out on social media because again, it does still matter to us. And, and just to kind of put this out there, our kids and our, and the people in our culture have been dealing with more anxiety in the last 10 years than has been reported and loneliness, anxiety and loneliness is, is epidemic in our culture. 
It's epidemic. And I'm not saying there's not a, a truth or, or some facts around that, that anxiety can be a legitimate mental illness to some degree, but the rise of it in the last, you know, Decade 10 years, or so, yeah. that's not a rise in like some sort of medical issue. Like, like that is situational and, and it's rooted in a move away from truth. I'm telling you right now, the, the epidemic loneliness and the, and the epidemic anxiety that we are experiencing in our culture that leads to suicides, that leads to all sorts of issues that are going on um, in our culture and the Western culture, especially America, is is rooted in a lack of valuing truth. And that's why I think this is a, an important topic for us to go through. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up about anxiety and because we're recording this during the Olympics, the day right. after Simone Biles says, I can't handle the pressure. My mental status can't do it. You know, earlier in the year, the number two uh, women's tennis player, Naomi Osaka, She's like, I can't deal with this. I need a break. And these are two women at the peak of their skill sets, at the peak of their profession that are saying, I can't handle this. So how is somebody, you know, who's like our kids, they're like, oh my gosh, if they can't handle their success, how am I going to navigate this world? How am I going to navigate it when they have in their minds we are all built to compare ourselves <laughs> when you, you compare yourself to a Simone Biles or a Naomi Osaka or take your pick of a successful athlete. In this case, a, a successful anything, the mental strain and the mental pressure causes them to break down. And it's all based on that. Like you mentioned, it's the anxiety that's 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 the fruit of the anxiety that is built on. In, I believe in a lie of if I don't win, if I don't perform, I'm letting, you know, in Simone Biles case, I'm letting a whole country down because I'm the face of the Olympics. I'm the greatest of all time. Like these are the things saying about a 24 year old girl who's up there talking about how she goes home and is in pain and she's not as young as she used to be. And I'm like, wait, wait 20 years. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, and look, I am all for people taking a break. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that there's any absolute value in winning a medal at a sporting event either. I mean, like if people feel like, you know what, I need to rest, I need to take a break, then do it, you know, but, but I, I'm just, I'm just saying the kind of anxiety that leads people into unhealthy situations, you know, that leads people into trying to find value in something other than truth is, is out there. And I see it all the time. And, and, and as a pastor, as, as someone who's an author and I deal with, I mean, I deal with a lot of people in through coffee and everything else. And there's just a lot of, just people are just dealing with it and, and COVID hasn't helped, you know, and I'm not saying everything that everybody's done with COVID is wrong. I'm just saying like, we've seen this stuff sh shoot up. And I talk with, you know, my, my wife's a teacher. We talk with all sorts of counselors and these sorts of things uh, at school. And my daughter, my two of my kids, well, one now, but two of my kids have been through, you know, counseling in the last, you know, year. Yeah. Like it's like it's something that that I I, I'm, I deal with and I'm I'm very aware of. And I'm not saying like we'll just have faith and it'll all go away. But what I'm saying is that for our culture, the value isn't on what is 
on truth, on something absolute that we can all have security in. And you can only have security in something that is that doesn't change, right? You, that's the only way you can have security in anything is if you know it's it's not changing, it's unchangeable, it's unshakable, and that's the kingdom of God. And, and we and in Christianity, in our in our modern Christianity, it's not just the world. We we've we've come to base things more on how we feel. Are we offended? Are all of these sorts of things? And it's it should not surprise us that then we also deal with you know, more anxiety, more loneliness. We feel more alone. We feel more divided. We feel all these things. And, and as we see in the movie, living to in truth unifies. Living in truth yeah. brings people together or reveals the bad guy for who he really is. Like living in truth, that's what living in truth will do. And and that's something that we as as Christians are, we do have that. You know, that's what we have. We have Jesus, the truth. Like we have that. And 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 we need to embrace that as as a way to to reach as good news to the world. There's good news. You can have good news. You don't have to be alone. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live this way. And so the movie, as it goes along, it's the as as these eighties teen movies sort of do is the <laughs> the outcast misfit kid sees the pretty girl on campus and wants to go out with her, but she's dating the cool guy who's kind of a jerk. I mean, that describes pretty much every boom <laughs> movie in the eighties. <laughs> and so as it goes along, we discover, well, you know, Amanda agreed to go out with Keith because she didn't like her boyfriend and he was, he was somebody else that she could cling to. Because as we Not find him. out, she would be rather be with someone for the wrong reasons than be alone for the right ones. And then you've got uh, Keith, who is asking her out, but it's not because of who she was, but what she represented. Yep. She represented belonging. All of a sudden, he's getting high fives from people he didn't even know because he's got a date with Amanda. And, yeah. it's, and he actually has a conversation with his best friend, Watts, about... Well, this is my opportunity to stand up for myself. To what do I owe this honor? I, I have a little problem. You know how you told me the thing with Amanda was a joke? Yeah. Well, it is a joke. Do you mean a, a joke as in a joke on you? Yep. Laura heard Hardy talking about it, and Amanda's supposed to get me over to Hardy's house and they're going to pound me. It's a good thing you found out about it. But I'm not afraid of him. You're going to go through with this? I have to. You think it's just Hardy? No, look, if he's going to get me, he's going to get me. It doesn't have to be at this party. He's going to have lots of chances. I'm not going to hide from him. Leave it alone. I can't. Why? Because I want to stand up to him. Well, forget it. It's impossible. Another year, you're gone. It's better to swallow pride than blood. You don't think that? I don't believe for a second you think that. I'm not giving in to them anymore. Not for another year, not for another minute. And it's that whole mindset of the date isn't about Amanda anymore. It's about making a statement about who he is and does he belong. And he's lost sight of the people 
he lost he's lost sight of his friend Watts who is has a crush on him he doesn't see that he's his dad's trying to get him to look at college and he's not doing that he's not even calling him dad anymore he's calling him Clifford <laughs> and this whole mindset of in uh, and, and Hardy the the bad guy boyfriend uh he is just doing it. And like you mentioned, he's living a lie because he's actually fooling around on Amanda. He's got every time he turns around, he's talking to a different girl or kissing on another girl. And she shows up and he talks his way out of it. And even his sister, the one who discovers that it's just a joke. Well, she's telling her friends, Oh yeah, my brother's in with the cool kids. So I'm in with the cool kids. I'll eventually get you in with the cool kids. And they're all pursuing this status and this belonging without actually and, and as like you mentioned we've talked about this before when your your sense of purpose belonging validation success is external you're always going to be chasing and you're never going to find it absolutely you know so uh, just let's talk about watts's character for just a second and i know we've kind of mentioned it but so she's kind of a tomboy she plays the drums She's alone a lot. Keith is her only friend. She she tries to act tough. So she's this great character. And again, Mary Stuart yeah. Masterson plays her so well uh, because Mary Stuart Masterson is she's a beautiful woman. I mean, she but you know she's got the, the short haircut and she's not super tall and you know so she plays it, but but inside she's fragile. So Watts on the on the outside is tough. But on the inside, she's fragile. And there's this uh, amazing conversation when they're at a club. And she basically tells him, look, I, I don't know if we can spend that much time together uh, because, you know, I, I would I just can't lose you as a friend. And, and you can start to see that that humanity coming out of her, that that genuineness. And, and Hardy actually says something in the beginning of the movie that is the theme of the movie. He's actually hitting on the girl, not his girlfriend, not yeah. Amanda Jones. He's hitting on the girl in the hallway. And he says, trust me, trust is the basis of any relationship. Trust is at the heart or something. What, what, what was it? Trust is at the heart of any relationship or something. And, and yet he's lying to her. Like right. he's trying to get her to trust him, but we can't trust things that aren't the truth. Right. And, and that's that's why living in truth, again, is is the best thing to try to achieve. And that's the theme of this movie. If you're going to try to achieve something, if you're going to sacrifice for something, sacrifice to get to a place where you're living in truth, because Watts wasn't living in truth. She was comparing herself to Amanda Jones and she was trying to find her value in other things. And she was here and there. And she has to kind of give up on Keith at the end, she kind of has to give up on him yeah. because she actually is willing to do the one thing that Amanda Jones wasn't at the beginning, which was, you know, she'll, she'll be alone for the right reasons yeah. instead of trying to hang on to something, you know, she knows that can't be love. That's not truth. You can't hang on to somebody. That's not love. You can't treat people like, 
you know, property like Hardy's trying to do, you know, and it's so over the top because it was the eighties and like, we love that stuff. It was so over the top, the, Har- yeah. the Hardy character and the rich kids and they were freezing her out. And there was just all this stuff that's just so over the top, but we loved it in the eighties. And John Hughes was a master at showing that stuff. But just to look at Wasa's character, I, I think she, she really is a highlight of this, of this movie because if she doesn't work you don't believe that he chooses her at the end like if 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 her character doesn't work just from a writing perspective and an acting perspective you don't believe he chooses her instead of the beautiful girl who actually does kiss him and likes him now you know and and you don't believe when amanda jones says you actually got these these belong to somebody these earrings all this stuff this you know as a symbol of of his love this actually belongs to somebody else. And it's interesting because at no point did it appear that Keith actually knew who Amanda was from as a right. person. And so right. when, when Watts was like, what is it about her? Is it her face or her body? Because you don't uh, know her. So you're only going off an appearance. Yeah. And then, you know, as all of these movies, they see this girl at a distance and pursue the girl at a distance, but don't really know them. And then they, they get upset because they feel used. And, and I thought it was great. Cause she's like, you're using me. You're, oh yeah. You know, she calls great. him out yeah, she does. for using her to attain, basically to get, get back at, at Hardy to be some sort of superhero of, Oh, you asked Amanda Jones out as the most popular, most beautiful girl in school. But she's like, I'm kind of tired of being used by people. It's like, everybody just wants to use me because they want to say, Oh, they've, I, I dated Amanda Jones. Well, and, and Hardy continually threatens Amanda Jones's reputation. Again, it's, it's about status. He continually, it's going to be a lonely year for you. It's going to be a lonely year. And, and, and and then, and again, the friends freeze her out and she's like, you know, and, uh, but, but I love that part too, because you're right. He's not living in truth. He's, he's seen her from a distance and, and so much of us that were the geeks and the nerds in school, we totally get this right. There was the girl that we really liked and, you know, like we thought she was unattainable. Like he's totally, uh, John Hughes is totally playing on that universal sort of idea that most of us have had, but he didn't really know her either because he assumed that she was in on the whole joke. Yeah. Like, like he assumed she was in on the joke to bring him the Hardy's party and they were going to beat him up and the whole thing. Like he assumed she's in on it. And she's like, no, I'm not. Even as much as he valued her from a distance, he still didn't know her. He's like, you're right. He still didn't no really trust, know who she was. The, there was, there was no trust <laughs> because there was no truth. You can't have trust without truth. Somebody needs to write that down. You can't have trust without truth. And that's why God comes to us with truth and then tells us to trust him. One of the best things that uh, the CEO head guy of Phoenix Roasters and, and the church a network that I'm a part of, Brian Hall. And one of, the, one of the awesome things that he's taught me is when something bad happens, he sits back and he says, I know God loves me and wants the best for me. <laughs> right? right. In, in other words, like he has to remind himself, he has to brainwash himself with truth. Like, okay, okay. Uh, this, this bad thing just happened and it's tragic and it's hard and I don't like it. But here, but I have to remind myself what's true. God loves me 
and he and he's trying to do good things. He he's a good father, you know, like because yeah. it's hard sometimes in the middle to remind yourself of truth. And it's the same way when when we put something on Facebook and we don't get any likes or or whatever happens in our modern idea of status, and we feel like we're not attaining or and and and, and instead of instead of being still and listening to the father and what he says about us. Look, I'm telling you, this is, this is so key that uh, so many Christians don't do this, but we have to almost daily now make sure before anything else happens, we, we take a step back in the morning and say, God, what do you think about me? What do you say about who I am? And he's going to call you son. He's going to call you daughter. He's going to say he loves you. He's going to say he believes in you, that you have gifts. He's going to tell you amazing things that you'll have trouble believing because they're so awesome. Because everything around you is going to look like, well, I'm not as pretty as her. or I don't have the money. I don't have the car. I don't have the this. And he's going to go, no, I believe this about you. And he's going to make you feel like you're the best thing in his world. And I love that about God. Because if God feels that way about me, and the cool thing is he feels that way about you too. <laughs> yeah. Because when he's talking with you, he does. He loves you so much. He, he thinks you are a masterpiece. He thinks you are some kind of wonderful. He thinks you're wonderful. So I think what you were just saying, Britt, is the, the message you know, in, in, of God's love for us, his pursuit of our hearts, pursuit of who we are. Because... We need reminding of who we are. Amen. And that goes for Naomi Ahsoka. That no goes for Simone Biles. That goes for Paul McDonald and Britt Mooney and every kid out there because everybody has a kid inside of us <laughs> who doesn't believe we're good enough, who doesn't really believe that God loves us. And when bad stuff happens, we don't trust it. And there's a scene where Keith gives Amanda towards the end of the weirdest date ever. <laughs> Keith gives Amanda these diamond earrings because he said he saw something in her and wanted to remind her of who he saw her as. This is for you. What? What is this? It's for my future. And this box is my future. Every cent I've ever earned. It's for you. I can't take these. You have to. I know you liked them. I, I saw you wearing shames, remember? This is insane. It doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't have to borrow anything. You're too good for that. Why are you crying? I feel so terrible for what I've been doing. I hate, I hate feeling ashamed. I hate where I'm from. I hate watching my friends get everything their hearts desire. I gave in to that hatred and I turned on what I believed in. I didn't have to. You didn't. So you won't do it again. You don't have to. Ever. And there's that mindset of I'm ashamed of who I am, of where I've come from, of the things I've done, the mindset of the prodigal where he says, all I have is yours. You don't have to borrow anything. That's so beautiful. Because the things that are most important in life aren't diamond earrings. And what it was was saying, you're worth it. 
you are worth every cent that I've made my entire life. That mm. it was his college savings. And he bought right. these diamond earrings and he's going to give them to her. And what price God paid for us. Right? It, it, more than the diamond earrings cost. You know, the price that was paid because he loves us. Mm-hmm. And that's where our foundation is, is trusting that God will provide for us. God is not surprised. God was not surprised by the pandemic. God was not surprised when bad things happen. He's not up in hand, up in heaven, wringing his hand saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? You know, as they talk about Jesus is sitting on the throne. That's right. Until the time that his kingdom shall return and he'll pursue us and he'll love us and he'll display it just like Keith did to Amanda. Like the other great eighties movie, nobody puts baby in a corner (laughs) and we are his delight. As you mentioned earlier, we're his masterpiece, but we don't trust it. We don't trust God's heart. We don't. And so I want to go now to this, the other clip with his dad, because the whole idea of we don't trust his heart for us because with all that Keith's dad was like, Hey man, you got to go to college. I want you to go to college. And so then he finds out Keith's dad finds out that Keith spent, took all the money out, all the college savings out and they get in this huge argument and he's like, you need to listen to me. I know what I'm doing. And it's, it all comes down to that same question of, are we listening and are we trusting? Dad, listen, I'm going out with a girl tonight and she's beautiful and everybody's in love with her and she's going out with me. Get it? See, in the eyes of most people around here, I'm a nothing. And so I don't start agreeing with them. I'm going to go through with this date. I just, I want to show this girl that I'm as good as anybody else. So what, are you going to impress her with money? You think that's the solution, Keith? Dad, didn't you ever have guys at your school that didn't fit in? Yeah, of course. Yeah? Well, I'm one of those guys. Thought things were going okay for you. Yeah, well, I like art. I work in a gas station. My best friend is a tomboy. These things don't fly too well in the American high school. I didn't know about this. Well, how could you know about it? You're my father. Jesus, Keith. How could you blow all that money? Believe me, there's a good reason behind all this. You just got to trust me. Trust you? There's a limit, Keith. How can you put a limit on trust? Do you know any father who would let his kid do something like this? No. So why should I have to go along with it? Because you believe in me. Listen, I'm going to replace the money. Think about it. You know I will. I'm not stupid. I didn't work all this time just to throw everything away without thinking about it. I know what I'm doing. You sure? Yeah. Okay. But I'm still going to ride your ass about college, Keith. I'm not giving up on that. All right. I've said my piece. Do me a favor, will you? Sure. Stop calling me Clifford. (laughs) 
But again, that was part of the status thing, right? Like she said, yes, she said she'd go out with him. He felt like he had, he had that, that made, helped him attain some sort of status. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause everybody, like you're saying, everybody's high-fiving him. His sister's like, I can't believe this rumor. Is it true? Like his sister, instead of treating him like a loser now treats him like he's somebody, right? Like he's getting all this external proof that he actually did attain something just by getting this girl to go out with him because she was just mad at her boyfriend. Like, I mean, like look at it, it's ridiculous. And then he's at breakfast Clifford. He's like, I'm, I'm dad and she's mom or whatever. Like, like what a great character actor he is. The dad, yeah. like what a great actor. Um, but, but I love the, I, I love that scene because you really do see how, how they both feel and, and you can relate to both of them because he's right. Like, you know, any dad that will let somebody do this? No, you know, yeah. and, 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 and they have to work through that. And, and that's what I said before about having hard conversations and, and, and it takes being genuine and, and being vulnerable with people in order to get to truth. That's what it takes. And, and so that's the first truth. I think I have eight. That's the first truth of the movie that's revealed is that I'm not going to college. Right. That's the first truth. Because he wasn't telling his dad. He wasn't being honest. He wasn't being real. He wasn't being genuine. Well, and the other part is while he's living in that denial of himself, he's not telling his dad the truth. He's calling right. him Clifford. It's and then they good. have this big fight. They was like, where's the money? Put it back. How am I? And, and the kid, like, will you trust me? Will you believe in me? And his dad's like, I didn't know it was like that. It, that, that line caught my attention. I didn't know mm -hmm. it was like that. Well, why would you? You're my father. And what a broken way to look at father. Right. Yeah. Shouldn't that be the, Hey dad, I'm having a really hard time at school because like he just said, I, I don't have any friends. I'm, I do. I love art. I work at a gas station. My best friend's a tomboy. Like all these reasons is like, I didn't know. And the good thing about us is our father does know. Yeah. Good. And there's nothing that we can take him that is going to surprise him or going to disappoint him or going to make him ashamed of us. And then the end of it, he walks out. Could you basically, could you call me dad? Right. Cause that's who I am. I'm your father. And this is what fathers do. They trust their children. They trust them. They believe in them, especially as they're getting older Mm -hmm. And yeah, it might turn out, but you know what? His dad's going to be there for him. Well, and Watts says it earlier in the movie, right? Watts is like, I know, like, I know I give you crap about your parents, but like, yeah. it's really cool. You've got people to look out for you. Like, yeah. again, you see that little vulnerability in her as a character, which is so well-written and she does such a great job exposing it. And, and here you see part of that. So, so yeah, there's, and truth leads to intimacy, right? I didn't mm -hmm. know that about you. I didn't know this was all going on. And, and, and for him to say, because you believe in me, that, that means there's been, there's been, there has been good relationship up to this point. He's not totally telling his dad he's awful. He's saying, look, I know there's part of you that loves me and you're doing this because you love me. I know you're doing this because you love me. And then and of course, Watts earlier was like, he's still going to kill you. I said, oh yeah, he's still going to kill me. Um, so that's the first truth. The first truth is the reconciliation with his father where he's not going to college and his father has to trust him and his father believes in him, believes in the job that he's been doing 
to some degree for yeah. 17 years, right? Trust the, the, the man, the son that he knows. The son that he's written, he raised him. Like, trust that, you yeah. know? Um, trust what you know about me. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Like, I know what, I, I know what I'm doing. But fear tells us the other. We yeah, can listen yeah, yeah. to the fear or we can listen to the young man that we know. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So the second truth is his sister. His his sister comes in and is like, his sister, the one that would break into his room and steal his <laughs> crap and call him names. And like, she has no respect for him now after she learns that this status, these people that are in this status are going to actually beat up her brother. Like this, this thing that she wants to attain is maybe not all that. Right. And she actually sees her brother as a hero for who he really is. So that's the second truth that we see in the movie is that the sister is like, good luck, you know, and, and, and I've got my friends, I've got my friends pulling for you, you right. know, and she sees the cool kids for who they really are. Exactly. And they lose their luster. That's right. Uh, the third truth is, is he, he gathers friends from the conflict. So early on, like, I guess the, the tough guy or whatever of the school or whatever, like what he and Watts kind of start to go at it and he calls her a lesbian and all this stuff. And, 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 uh, it really is kind of a weird scene. Cause looking at it, cause you know, I was a teacher and my, my wife is a teacher and I'm like, they would have put both of these kids in detention. Right. Like if they had been in a fight in, you know, anyway, so I forget the guy's name, but the bald, the bald guy, Duncan. um, yeah, Duncan. So they're, they're at odds. And then, uh, Keith in the movie tries to get thrown into, into detention on purpose because he thinks Amanda's going to be there, but she's not. And now he's in with the rough characters and he befriends them, right? He starts to share with them. He befriends them. And so that's the third truth is he, he, he actually, he makes friends from conflict. Like in, in the middle of conflict, he's able to make friends and that those friends are a better resource than yeah. money. Like when you really look at it, those friends are a, friends are a better resource than money because because he made friends, he got to go into the 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 art museum for free. Yeah. Because he made friends, he got to go into the stadium for free. Like 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 he didn't have to pay money. He had to pay money for like the nice car or whatever. But as far as like some of these amazing things he was able to do, and I'm telling you, for me. I have been able to experience things in life that if I did not have friends, I would not never have done it. I, I would never have been able to go to Europe and for two or three weeks and only spend one night in a hotel. I was spending time with friends. You know what yeah. I mean? I, there's just time after time after time that I've had opportunities because I made friends to have an adventure and see amazing, beautiful things. And so that's the third truth. And their friendship was initiated because of, one of the things that he listed as being uncool, he's like, I like art and they're in detention right. yeah, and right. he's drawing in the book and Duncan's over there drawing on a desk with his knife. And then he sees his Duncan looks over and sees Keith's drawing and he rips off the front top of the desk and shows Keith. But that, that, that thing that he is sort of in that he loves, but is also what makes him quote unquote uncool is what actually brought their friendship together. Yeah. And, and Keith says something really interesting when they're in the art museum, uh, you know, just to kind of pull it in. It was really cool. He says, this is my church. Yeah. 
What people say about me here doesn't matter. And, and again, he's getting to truth. He's revealing truth to her. Which man, um, if, if people actually thought that way about church, I go to church because when I'm there, what people think of me uh, don't matter. So good, man. What people think about me don't matter. And it's true. I know what God says. Yeah. What God thinks about me matters. Because what he says is he knows everything. So whatever he says about me is the truth. That actually is true. And uh, the fourth truth is, and we've already kind of covered this one, is, is Amanda has actual value apart from her status, apart from her reputation, apart from, and, 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 and she has to kind of wrestle with that. I'm so ashamed. Right. Um, and, and then that's where the line, like, I've just learned, I don't want to be alone. I, I don't want to be alone for the, yeah. I'd rather be with somebody for the wrong reasons than alone for the right ones. And of course he pushes back on that because he has a different character, right? And she's, she's learning from him. And then they have that great thing about, you know, we use each other. So, and then he gives her the earrings and all that stuff. We kind of already covered that. Uh, th that's the fifth truth. The fifth truth is that they use each other. And we, are, we kind of already covered that. Yeah. Um, the sixth truth is Hardy is a manipulator and a coward. That's the sixth truth. Uh, and, and, and Keith even says it. He says, you want to know the truth? You're over. Because at first, he he Hardy wasn't even going to beat him up himself. Right. He's telling the dudes, you go, you and 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 Keith is like, well, why don't you do it? What's wrong with you? Like he's literally calling him in a coward in front of everybody. And the girls who have or the popular girls are kind of like, you know, they're kind of giving Hardy a, a look like like he's calling her trash. They're, you know, Amanda trash, like he owns her and all this sort of stuff. And and then when the when the when Duncan and the dudes from detention show up, <laughs> which is one of my favorite scenes, and uh, when when that happens, he backs off. Yeah, he backs down because he's a coward. He's a manipulator and he's a coward. And Keith looks at him and he says, "The truth, you know what the truth is? Is you're over." Because people have seen him for who he is. People have seen him for who he is. And one of the most beautiful moments of the movie, which again makes it to me, is when they they come out and Watts is willing to give up on Keith, give up on her crush, give up on her. One of the most important things to her, she wants him to be happy. She's not doing it out of anger. She sees Amanda, right? She's, she, she shakes Amanda's hand, right? She's like, I'm sorry I was wrong about you, right? There's this moment of truth. Watts is walking away and Amanda takes off the earrings, which is a symbol of value, right? Amanda realizes her own value enough that she realizes she is, she doesn't need the earrings for value. She doesn't need that. And that makes us love Amanda and, and makes us love Watts because Watts isn't trying to fight. She's willing to just step back and let, let Keith, let Keith make a choice. Uh, and then the eighth truth is there, right? They love each other, right? That's yeah. Also. In these last kind of these last truths, what we see is that the conflict reveals the character. Yeah, good. Yeah, you know, whether it's Hardy being revealed as a manipulator and a coward, or Keith being somebody who values people right. as a for being a person, right? Yeah. Not for yeah. not for what they can give him or what they can do for him, but just because they have value. And even, even, you know, like you said, Watts and, and Amanda, their, their conflict says, oh, wait, we're not right together because you, we don't know each other. I'm not taking your future. 
because that was his, the earrings are, I'm giving your future back to you because that the conflict that she saw between Watts and Keith revealed that she's like, I'm not a part of this. That's the person who is in love with him and who I think he actually loves because again, he doesn't know me, but I appreciate the fact that he has given me value, not as a piece of property, but as a person. Mm-hmm. And then the conflict is what made Watts uh, reveal the the love and the care because she keeps going to him and keeps helping him. And even though it hurts, even though it hurts, man, and, and just just really quickly, I don't even know how spiritual it is, but the, the, the whole kissing scene where she's like, do you really know how to kiss her? Like, what's going to happen? <laughs> like, that is such a great scene and such a great turning moment where you see that first flash in his eyes where it's like, huh, I wasn't expecting that. Like I wasn't expecting to feel whatever we felt, you know? Um, So they did, they did a great job leading us to that reality. So it wasn't just a complete shock when he chooses her at the end, like he chooses her at the end. You're like, yep. uh, Of course, like that's satisfying to us. And he has a great line at the end. He goes, you know, you look great wearing my future, uh, all that sort of stuff. And, it's, it's such a great moment of truth where they, they're revealing like, this is, this is real. This is what's real. And now there's a future. And, and as, and people watching the movie, right. We're, we're satisfied. Like, we don't know what happened in 40 years, right? We don't know right. if they had kids, you know, it's like, like, but we know that at least now they're moving forward in truth. They're moving forward together. They're moving forward in community. He has, you know, there's a whole new party going on because <laughs> Duncan and the dudes are going to put it to a respectable Ratchet level. Up. <laughs> um, and, 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 and I just love that. And, and, and I think that so often we're afraid of exposing the truth because we think it will cost us community. We think it will, it, we think people will reject us. Uh, we've talked about it on, on here before, but if people only knew this about me, right they would reject me. And, and, and those sort of lies that we live in. So we, we don't tell our dad that I'm not going to college or, or, or whatever. Like we, we don't have those hard conversations because we think people will reject us. And sometimes they do, right? Sometimes there is conflict and, and we do get rejected and betrayed and stuff like that. And so, and so we, we try to hide from that stuff, but this movie does a great job telling us that you know, you'd rather live in truth. Living in truth is where you want to be. Like whatever you got to do, that's what you should try to attain is to live in truth in your relationships with each other and God live in truth. This has been Paul McDonald and Britt Mooney talking about some kind of wonderful, some kind of wonderful. (laughs) Somebody's going to sing it. (laughs) Check out our website. We've got uh, quotes and themes and questions and resources, you know, stuff we might talk about that, you know, if there's a book we talked about, we'll have the link there. Also, if you want to support our group or support this podcast and what we're doing, check out the Patreon page. That is patreon.com backslash men at the movies. And you can, uh, if you contribute and partner and invest in what we're doing, then you get some perks. We got, we'll be having some eBooks, uh, some deeper dives, even they're like double deeper. We're scuba diving deep dives right. into some of these movies we've talked about. You'll get the opportunity to join us on a live stream and ask us questions as we're talking about it. 
And even if you get to a certain level, you might even be invited to come join us on a podcast. Amen. So, or just to have some bourbon. Very good. If, you, if you're into that sort of stuff. If you're into that. Yeah. Or at least we'll, I'll drink the bourbon. We'll drink the bourbon and you can drink whatever <laughs> beverage you, you choose. So I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of the Men at the Movies podcast. And we hope that you join us next week. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Thank you.